you are tuned in to the State of Cannabis News Hour, where industry leaders, regulators, and lovers of cannabis gather collectively to move policy forward in an inclusive and sustainable way. Professionals and Canacurious alike can tune in to hear leading cannabis experts share and discuss headlines, critical industry issues, social topics, and more. The State of Cannabis News Hour, your daily dose. Hi, and welcome to the State of Cannabis News Hour, where we bring you all the top stories you need to know and talk about them for four minutes and 20 seconds. We are a group of experts in different cannabis spaces with a wide diversity of perspectives and life experiences. Our news is bite-sized and infused with a nice mix of facts, opinions, and a pinch of humor. It's Friday, April 1st, 2022. This is episode number 249. I'm Susan Sores, the founder of the State of Cannabis News Hour, author of the children's book What's Growing in Grandma's Garden, and Cannabis's Favorite Grandma, aka Nanogram. If you're listening to the podcast or watching on the YouTube channel, the show is live every weekday at 9 a.m. Pacific Standard Time on Clubhouse. Spark it up with us and over 28,000 State of Cannabis News Hour members if you want to be an audience participant. Otherwise, please subscribe to our show. We'd love to hear from you, so please leave us a review. Today we're talking about two dispensary workers accused of stealing thousands of dollars worth of pot. A Texas attorney offers warnings about bringing cannabis back from New Mexico. California Senate Bill 1186. The low sugar trend in cannabis products. WeHo considering special events. A More Act update. The city of Hull is hell if you love weed. And many other frosty nuggets. So stay tuned for the full 60 minutes of the State of Cannabis News Hour. The following program contains coarse language and nudity. Viewer discretion is advised. Audience, feel free to raise your hands if you want to weigh in on a headline after it's been read, and we'll try to bring you up to the stage. Keep it brief and relevant, or you might get the gong. Kicking off the show today is Rico Lameet. He likes to ask the tough questions that the mainstream media refuses to ask. The self-proclaimed dopest dad alive is here to encourage other dope dads. Find him on TEDx or at one of his Cannavision events, but always find him here every weekday as co-producer of the State of Cannabis News Hour. What you got for us today, Rico? All right, so my story is coming out of the great state of the dirty mitten Michigan itself. Um, from Benzinga, Allen Iverson, Al Harrington, Calvin Johnson, and Sada Baby. Um, now it's uh, AI's new cannabis strain out there. So former NBA star Al Harrington touched down in the Motor City last week with none other than the Hall of Fame, uh, Hall of Famer, Detroit Piston, Allen Iverson, to officially launch AI's new Iverson 01 strain. For the weed nerds out there, it's reported to be a cross between F1 Durban, Gushers, Gushers, gushers and runts. And uh, I, attend, I attended uh, the L.A. launch at the end of 2021. And if, if Detroit's version was anything like downtown L.A., I can only imagine how crazy the atmosphere was. But there's something deeper going on in Detroit that I personally wanted to point out um, about this story. Calvin Johnson, the legendary Detroit Lions receiver also known as Megatron. He was at the launch. He, en- he enlisted former teammate Rob Sims to help launch Primitive, 
which began as an advisory firm helping other, other athletes interested in joining the industry before more recently expanding operations into plant touching, opera, uh, into plant touching in, in, in Michigan. Also there, Detroit rapper Sada Baby, who admittedly is more popping with the younger generation than I'm familiar with, but I love it all the same. He brought a huge crowd with him also. Per the article, as part of Harrington and Iverson's ongoing multi-year partnership, Viola released limited amounts of the new strain exclusively in Michigan, where AI attended meet and greets with customers at five Detroit dispensaries. An avid vocal supporter of Social Equity, Big Al, was also promoting Viola Cares, his own initiative aimed to help formerly incarcerated people transition back into society. Three more Hall of Fame Piston legends, Ben Wallace, Isaiah Thomas, John Sally, they're all in the cannabis game as well. Isaiah with the Hemp and Cannabis Research Company. Ben Wallace, his undrafted cannabis uh, flower line drops today, a collaboration with Rare. Uh, my friend John Sally and his daughter Twyla, uh, Deuces 22, their flower brand is set to launch this November if all goes planned um, out of Detroit as well. Chris Weber made huge waves last year with his announcement of the $175 million Weber cannabis compound. I don't know how much of that is just vapor, but you know it's a huge announcement and, and great to see that, that guy in the game too. Detroit's always been known as the underdog champion city of black superheroes. From music, legendary Barry, Goody, uh, Gary, me, Barry Gordy Motown sounds still echoing nearly every hit song today, up to Eminem, Big Sean, Royce the Five Nine, countless others. Sports, unstoppable receiver and running back uh, play of Lions legends Calvin Johnson and Barry Sanders, to the 80s NBA bad boy Piston champions, or the Redux led by Big Ben and Rip. In damn near 40 years I've been alive, Detroit's always been hated on by the rest of America and never meant to win. I kind of see it as a metaphor for the rest of black cannabis. They want to make the rules and take credit for the industry we built. They want us to fail so they can say, I told you so, or have a reason to justify hiring chads with the knack, with the knack for failing upward. What I see happening in Detroit is a beautiful realignment of black stars that I hope catches on for the rest of us in the industry. What I saw in the Iris No One's launch party picks online, a rare glimpse of black joy cultivated by successful melanated people, all working together towards collaborative success. I can't wait to see more of that shit in the D and everywhere else. This is Rico Lamite, dopest dad in the streets, reporting for the State of Cannabis News Hour, and it looks like California's getting fucking reparations. I hope the rest of the nation does too. I love y'all, and uh, happy motherfucking Friday. <laughs> How about them reparations, Gretchen Gailey? Reparations are not coming, Rico. It's a fucking pipe dream, bro. No, they're coming. One way or another, they're coming. Where are they coming to? Where are they being delivered? Because I don't see any uh, any residential address attached to these reparations being delivered. 2023, they're supposed to be going out July 2023, I believe so. Those are called your tax returns, Rico. Not nah. just administrative details, Jason. Dreamer, why are you so angry about reparations? I'm not, Jason? I'm not why, why are you getting so up in arms? I'm about? not angry. At all. I'm not angry at all. I'm just a realist, and and that's some, that's you, some you so shit. angry. Man. You so angry. He sounds angry. <laughs> I do not sound don't. angry. You guys are full of cheap. okay. <laughs> you guys, I'm super excited. We've got Adolf Ward up on the stage from the audience. Adolf, please weigh in. Um, I, I just wanted to touch on it real quick. Um, I agree with both the gentlemen. Uh, I, I hope and pray reparations are coming. I want to agree with my brother Jason that I am not as as uh, 
optimistic as, as many that it will happen. But I think we all should, can agree it definitely fucking should. Facts. What up, Dolph? <laughs> what up, Rico? Again, Rico. Again, Rico, I was right. You're welcome. No, you know, no, no. Right. No, I'm not, not going to let you get that one, bro. You guys are both right. <laughs> They're working on it. <laughs> May not happen, but they are working Adolf, on it. Adolf, Adolf, you're right. Everything. Once you said I was right, that was it. That was all that I needed, bro. Whether it, we're it, both it, right, it doesn't matter. I'm, I'm neither right or wrong. Uh, I'm neither right or wrong, right or left. I'm right. I'm in all the middle. All the way right. I'm always in the middle. Say, burn that bitch down. <laughs> Left-handed, always in my that's, right state of mind. That's that. That's California's version of being in the center. Burn it down. That's a California reverberation. All right. So this OG hey. veteran and, and, and dope dad is known for respect and respected by peers as a steadfast defender of the culture, always first to stand up for the rights and legacy operators. The co-founder and CEO of Pop Button Barkley is coming to the stage next. Take a seat. It's time to listen to the gospel of Guy Rocourt. What you got for us, Guy? Thank you, Rico. Good morning, Susan. Good morning, team. Today, my article is coming out of MJ Biz Daily, and it's entitled Four Considerations for Cannabis Companies Aiming to Capitalize on the Low Sugar Trend. It starts off pretty interesting with Candy Giant Hershey Co. has rolled out an entirely sugar-free version of its iconic Reese's Pieces Cup, and now this trend is coming to the cannabis industry. The article also goes on to say things like the marijuana industry has switched from a stoner mindset to a wellness mindset. And then it goes on to talk about the bitterness of CBD extracts and how people have to mask those things. Long story short, you guys, this article uh, jumped right out at me because I, in fact, as a producer, created a sugar-free gummy because I believe that cannabis has always been wellness. Stoner has been a derogatory term leveled at us. We take cannabis usually because we need to, at the very least, de-stress. Also, I want to comment on this notion of bitterness of cannabis. Stop using boof distillate extracts. Start, there is a sweetness to cannabis when you have the right strain and you know what to do. When you know how to extract cannabis, it can actually flavor a sweet confection. So I know for a fact, because I've created it, you can create a gummy with some sugar and have only the rosin be the flavor and have no bitterness. That's about knowing how to handle cannabis and kind of leaning into that and realizing that cannabis is more than CBD and THC. So I took some issues with that. That being said, they go on to talk about how wellness and low sugar should be hand in hand. And I agree. I think that when we go to dispensaries, we should be asking for the best possible products with the least amount of sugar, the least amount of preservatives, the least amount of toxicants. And so I appreciate that this article calls out four ways, including natural options. They talk about monk fruit. Um, they don't talk about allulose, but allulose is also an awesome sugar substitute. For those of you who are out there trying to formulate products or just want to reduce sugar in your diet, there are a lot of options. And I do agree with the article that we should be finding better ways to make wellness products. We should not have high fructose corn syrups in our wellness-based dispensaries. There is a better way. If you want grape soda, if you want sugary treats, there are plenty of outlets for that. The dispensary should not be one of them, in my opinion, and I think this article talks about that. They also, of course, then go into COGS. It is more expensive when you don't use sugar. The better your quality ingredients, the more the product. And then lastly, their fourth thing is talk about it or shout about it. As somebody who did create a um, sugar-free gummy, I can tell you, unfortunately, Unfortunately, the consumer is not as woke as we'd like them to be, y'all. It's like you can do the best job you can. Taste and texture are always going to win. Unfortunately, when we make confections without the sugar of structure or the structure of sugar, they are not the same. Sugar-free things are typically not the same as their sugar-filled compatriots, and it's up to 
us to do the right thing when we want wellness and do the right thing when we don't. That being said, I hope these I hope that this trend does keep up in cannabis and that we do continue to push the wellness envelope in our dispensaries. Any case, worth a read as a formulator, just talking about this trend. I think this trend started with cannabis, didn't start with Hershey's, my humble opinion. Also, look at your extracts. There is sweetness in cannabis. There are nuances that can be elevated. We don't need to just continually mask the taste, and I take exception that it's always bitter. Distillate might be bitter, booth CO2 might be bitter, but good solventless extracts, even full-spectrum light hydrocarbon extracts, can definitely exhibit a sweetness because I've seen it. This is Guy Rocourt reporting for the State of Cannabis News Hour. Thanks so much for uh, sharing this article, Guy. I really love it. And I fully agree with you that uh, there needs to be an embrace of the health movement in cannabis. As someone pushing uh, no added sugar edible that has won awards for being the best tasting edible in the state of California. I'm big on uh, this health movement. I think it's important. And uh, as much as there might need to be some customer education, we have customers that want to buy dozens of fruit slabs that can't find them at any retailers because it's the buyers that will not buy healthy edibles for their stores when they cost more than sugar-loaded gummies. And that's a real problem. The buyers need to buy products that are healthier so that the healthy alternatives are available for customers. And because the input ingredients are more expensive in healthy products, health food costs more, buyers are reluctant to pay more for edibles. Edibles are not the thing that is moving mountains in the dispensary. They're not the highest revenue generator. And buyers are resistant to spend an extra dollar or two on their skew to get a healthy product. I've been dealing with this for years. And so I would even plead to buyers, consider that your customers want something healthy. Consider that they don't want edibles coated in sugar. This is Brandon Dorsky. Reporting yeah, Brandon, you know, you're, you're absolutely right. Like, you know, again, if there are any bud tenders on you guys and, and, and buyers, it is important that you all are the vanguard. And I, I, I can appreciate that the consumer is uneducated, but if you are a buyer to retail outlet or a bud tender, I expect you to know more and uphold the values of cannabis. And that is clean tox-free, sugar-free, best-for-you wellness dispensary type stuff. And so while the consumer might be a little bit uneducated, I do expect that people that work in dispensaries should be held accountable for doing the right thing. Thank you so much for bringing this story, Guy. I think this is so important to address. And Brandon, love your products. So glad you're out there. I work with a lot of medical cannabis patients, and sugar is a huge thing. It grows cancer. So it's really important for them not to have that sugar in all of these edibles, which are incredibly just stuffed with it so you don't taste the medicine. And like he's saying, I think the whole plant is the pro- is the thing. A lot of stuff now has nano in it, the nanotechnology. Uh, and then it seems like there's a horrible taste that goes along with that because a lot of people don't know how to use the surfacants in that. And I think that that is also a fact in it. But just as things move forward, we look at our population overall with really high uh, incidence of type 2 diabetes. Hopefully this will be the movement and that we stick towards healthy things. So thank you, Guy and Brandon, for all you guys do. And if the industry were allowed to advertise in more places, we could educate the consumers. So we need freedom to advertise. I really wish I was able to kick my sugar habit. It's tough. Christopher, did you have something you wanted to say? I just wanted to support Liz for bringing up all those great statistics and details about sugar. I'm even looking at the CDC website. It says that 10% of Americans or about 34 million Americans have diabetes 
and another 84 million have pre-diabetes that will become diabetes within five years. So the so big sugar is a nightmare uh, nightmare drug. I think I I always think that sugar is the real gateway drug. So it's just it's always concerning to hear these stories, and I'm glad you guys are being champions for avoiding it. Absolutely, is the the, the real gateway drug, and it's uh, detrimental to the black community. Susan, you need to play Baby Bash's Sugar Sugar right now. I would get in trouble with my attorneys. <laughs> the whole team, the whole team would be mad, mad, mad. Let's keep let's keep, let's keep it moving here. All right. Um, up next, it's the mink coat wearing, private jet hopping, Emerald Cup judging, industry's longest continuously running retailer, who also happens to be my newly minted co-host and producer. That's right. You can see him as the white ying to my black. <laughs> Yang. Even though he hates the idea of reparations, I still love him the same. Jason Beck, what you got for us today, brother? Oh, yeah. Morning. Good good morning, Rico. And I don't have anything against reparations. I just don't believe that it's actually achievable. So I like to measure people's expectations. But nonetheless, I have a fascinating story today. I think people are definitely going to want to hear to this, where we have two dispensary workers accused of stealing almost $50,000 worth of marijuana. That's right, folks. Lake County deputies say the dispensary security manager initially received an anonymous tip that 24-year-old Danielle Eiler and 24-year-old Hector Valley Roman were stealing bags of marijuana flour from the store each night they worked. The tipster claimed the two employees would fill a machine and claim it was clogged so that they could empty it and keep the excess product. The The caller said they saw Eller and Valley Roman uh, posting pictures of their cannabis on Snapchat. <laughs> Snitch on yourself, stupid. Deputies reviewed surveillance video from the store dating back to the earliest alleged theft in November. According to the sheriff's office, Ellier and Valley Roman can be seen repeatedly taking bags of cannabis to the manager's office over the course of several months before walking out with it in before walking out with it concealed on them. Deputies say in all the two in all the, in, in all of the videos, the two stole approximately 49 bags of cannabis worth a total of just under $50,000. Uh, when interviewed by detectives, Eller admitted to stealing about 50 bags of flour by hiding it in her body. She said she'd then sell it to a friend, buy the ounce, and share a portion of the earnings with Valley Roman. When, uh, when shown a picture of herself leaving the manager's office with what seemed to be obvious bulges in her pant legs and waistline, Eller admitted to the that the bulge was the flower she was taking from the facility without permission. Both Eller and Valley were booked into Lake County Jail on Monday on grand theft charges, and they have since been released on a $5,000 bond each. Well, I'll tell you right now, I think these two better watch their back because I'm willing to bet there's probably some Russian oligarchs that are out there looking to cap their asses since they're stealing from Cure Relief. And this is Jason Beck reporting for the State of Cannabis News Hour. <laughs> what the fuck? Oh my god, that's awesome! <laughs> Isn't Curaleaf the company that was stealing tips from employees? Yep. Just the tip, though. All Just right. the tip, Susan. Just the tip. Well, oh, karma's right. a bitch. Oh, is no. there a, 
Yes, steal from the rich, give to the poor. You know, I, I kind of see them as, as kind of anti-heroes and, you know, almost like the good guys stealing from the Russian oligarchs. Follow the money, man. It, go, it comes full circle. Everything in this world comes full circle. <laughs> Jesus. Just play it, Susan. Play it. Russia, Russia, Russia. Robin Hood's of weed. Amazing. This is hilarious, especially because they took their tips. They're like, we're just taking back what was ours. What kind of time could they be there looking at? There was no mention in the article that they were stealing the money because of the tip situation, just for clarity. These people were totally advantageous trying to be fucking trap stars, but they're not. But it could be the case, Jason, since that was a company-wide problem. I doubt that that was all the about case, the Susan. These, these, this sounds like opportunistic individuals that want to fucking flex on social media by showing that they have all this different product for sale to all of their lame ass friends. Can I give a Can I give a, a, a get a shout out to this young generation that just snitches on themselves time and time and time again? Like it's a come up for us, man. The millennials are winning right we now. We need to we need to reinstitute the stop snitching campaign and really educate the youth. Well, and and now I see so much electronic evidence. Like people are using these apps, like Signal, thinking that they're somehow foolproof. But the police have technology to get into all those messages once they seize the phones. Beware! Stop everyone. narking on yourself. And yes. just just to be fair, really, you shouldn't be stealing. Um, there's probably better ways to go about that. Yeah, I mean, yeah, like hustling, yeah. like hustling. Yeah. Make some fucking money on the streets and fucking hustle. You don't need to be a fucking stealing snitch. <laughs> or use flip phones rippers get no respect exactly buy a burner phone like everybody else pay your 25 dollars a month for virgin mobile indeed so coming to the stage burner next phone. is a true renaissance woman known for bringing the data and not the drama she's an educator brand strategist healthcare consultant founder of the cannabis business council of santa barbara county coming to the stage Liz Rogan. What you got for us? Happy Friday. Happy Friday. Thanks for joining us today, everyone. I've got a kind of fun story. I've got that pinch of humor Susan always talks about. So my story comes from The Guardian. The headline reads, Cannabis sprouts in New Zealand Parliament Garden and protesters partying potshot. So seedlings apparently planted by anti-COVID mandate protesters have been removed after the speaker asked for weed to be weeded. So when anti-vaccination protesters finally cleared out of New Zealand's parliament grounds after a three-week occupation, they left behind a huge mess, which, among other things, included the charred remains of a children's playground, camping equipment, and human waste. But this week, a man eating lunch in the parliament grounds spotted something else that was left behind by the protesters. Cannabis seedlings! The unidentified man said that he, quote, might not have inhaled back in the university, end quote, but he said he had a, quote, fairly good idea what kind of plants were sprouting just meters away from the debating chamber. This prompted a swift operation by the groundskeepers to find, uproot, and destroy the plants sneakily seeded in the Parliament's garden. We are weeding out the weed, Trevor Mallard, the Speaker of Parliament, assured New Zealanders in a statement. The discovery did raise some questions about what surprises protesters might leave behind um, because there was supposed to be a new protest on Friday. The parliament representative said that a lot of marijuana seedlings had been scattered around by protesters, in addition to seedlings for cilantro, tomatoes, other vegetables, and herbs. The man who originally found the marijuana plants proclaimed it, quote, a shame, and added the law is the law. 
In New Zealand, 53% of voters voted against legalizing cannabis in, a tw- in 2020. So possession and manufacture of recreational cannabis remains illegal. In the lead up to the vote, Prime Minister Has- Hacinda Jacinda Ardern um, wouldn't put any support either way. She didn't want to influence the outcome, but she did realize later, uh, revealed later that she had voted in favor of legalization. But the protest itself lasted 23 days. It included hundreds of people across the country, a lot of conspiracy theorists and other grievances people had brought them together. So it was a real issue there. Unfortunately, fires broke out and there were, uh, you know, a lot of fights. Officers were injured. So that still remains strained, that situation. Um, but, uh, and last week, uh, Ms. Arden announced that the country would move away from vaccine requirements. So hopefully they will have a lot less unrest and um, these cannabis plants can keep growing. It sounds like they need a little bit of um, that cannabis in their life. But um, it's kind of funny if you look at the pictures, these are tiny little seedlings and they had to be like removed. And I feel bad for them. I think it's hilarious. Uh, I feel bad for the plants. I think it's hilarious. I feel bad for the New Zealanders who can't use the cannabis and um, just wanted to bring this tiny bit of humor, hopefully out of this sad story. And um, this is Liz Rogan reporting for the State of Cannabis News Hour. I love this form of protest. It's so great. <clears throat> I had an event in Coachella and we, at the end of the event, Johnny Stash and I had, we put a hundred male plants, they were four feet tall, in the landscaping of the estate next door. And for, by the next morning, they were all gone. So all these people took home these male plants. It was fun. I really like the idea of overgrowing the government because it's nature is so powerful. If you scatter a thousand seeds, you're going to see cannabis everywhere. Now the cannabis is legal here in California and in many parts of the U.S. Um, you know, we'll probably start seeing more of these overgrow the government protests in the states that are not fully legal or even in cities and counties where cannabis is not fully legal because there's local bans um, where people can, you know, do these very effective, artistic and environmentally conscious protests. Because cannabis plants capture carbon. And they really surprise people. When people see a plant in an unexpected place, it's like, whoa, what what the heck? And by the way, everyone, if you're in the Long Beach area, I'm currently making some blue cheese seeds so that I can give them away. And if you want some for protest, please connect with me and I will give you some seeds. No one wants that booth. It's a beautiful plant. Come on. Blue cheese. To be completely fair, Susan, um, it was at Coachella, and, and I guarantee it wasn't the first nor the last time somebody unexpectedly went home with a male plant. Liz, <laughs> <laughs> Liz, Liz, do we know if this was that new Kiwi strain that all the New Zealanders are all raving about? Oh, you mean Kiwi OG? Uh, probably. They said that they scattered a ton of seeds, so they'll be sprouting for a long time to come. So we shall see. Hopefully some can get to flowering stage. All right. Are we, we all done with that story, I'm feeling? Yep. Let it grow. Let's all, keep smoking let it grow. All right. Thank you so much, Liz. Coming up next, we have Omar Figueroa, the founder of Cannabis Law Firm with offices in California and New York, director of the Nan- National Cannabis Industry Association, legal publisher and author who wrote 2022 California Cannabis Laws and Regulations and was just released, as well as a gondolier cannabis sommelier and purple belt in high style Brazilian Jitsu. Watch out before you get chopped by Omar Figueroa. What you got for us today, bro? 
Thank you. Uh, happy Friday, everyone. My story is from omarfigueroa.com by yours truly. The headline is California Senate Bill 1186 amended to expand medical delivery statewide. A proposed law in California named the Medicinal Cannabis Patients' Right of Access Act would require local jurisdictions across the state to allow medical delivery-only retailers. Senate Bill 1186, which was authored by Senator Scott Weiner and amended in the Senate on March 29th, would prohibit local jurisdictions across California from banning medical cannabis delivery businesses. However, it would authorize cities and counties to adopt and enforce regulations limiting the sale of medical cannabis to delivery only. According to the digest prepared by the Legislative Council, this bill would enact um, would prohibit a local jurisdiction from adopting or enforcing any regulation that prohibits the sale of or otherwise imposes unreasonable restrictions on the safe and affordable sale of medicinal cannabis to medicinal cannabis patients or their primary caregivers by medicinal cannabis businesses. The bill would prohibit regulations that unreasonably restrict, among other things, the operating hours or the number or frequency of sales of medicinal cannabis businesses. This bill would authorize a local jurisdiction to adopt and enforce regulations limiting the sale of medicinal cannabis to delivery only. The bill would provide that the act may be enforced by an action for writ of mandate brought by a medical cannabis patient or their primary caregiver, a medicinal cannabis business, the attorney general, or any other party otherwise authorized by law. The amendments to 1186 appear intended to address a concern expressed by advocates that the previous version would have granted delivery bans a seal of approval under state law, as the previous version would have empowered cities and counties to, quote, limit the sale of medicinal cannabis to storefront retail sale only at one or more licensed retail sale premises within the local jurisdiction. The proposed law would unequivocally prohibit local jurisdictions from banning medicinal cannabis businesses by adding Section 26302 to the Business and Professions Code. Notably, the law has an enforcement provision that allows an action for a rate of mandate to be brought by medical cannabis patients, caregivers, and businesses. Keep your eye on Senate Bill 1186 as it would alter the regulatory landscape across California and turn medical cannabis deserts into green oases. This is Omar Figueroa at reporting for the State of Cannabis News Hour from Sebastopol, Sonoma County, California. I thought delivery is supposed to be like statewide regardless. There's no... Well, this would empower this changes people it. to uh, have cities in all the all the deserts, like all the cities that currently ban medical delivery would no longer be allowed to ban medical delivery. And you, so you it would open up they the They can't whole, ban delivery, Omar. No, um, what I mean is having a medical delivery business located in that city, in any city or in any county in the state, um, that would be required under this bill if it passes. This, so not just... And not just delivering from outside the local jurisdiction into that jurisdiction, but actually having the delivery business located and based out of every uh, city and county. This bill, this bill is piss poor. Piss poor bill. Who's behind it? 
wieners. That's why it's piss poor. Oh my god! What's the matter? What's what's what? What besides technicalities? What's the matter with trying to make sure that medical patients can have their? There's no problem. I want all medical patients to have whatever they need. But the fact that they're distinguishing that only medical only delivery, when the reality of it is that most medical patients don't even purchase a medical cannabis card anymore because they have the ability to just come in and purchase it under under adult use doesn't make any sense to me. I was wondering well, the same, Jason. But that's because yep. you're not understanding that what happened under Prop 54 is that a lot of the medical dispensaries were shut down because cities were No medical marijuana dispensaries were shut down under 64, Chris. That's fake news. It sure is reported pretty widely. Well, I think what happened is Prop 64 allowed cities and counties to uh, put in all sorts of regulations that people had to comply with. And before Prop 64, it was, you know, fairly unregulated and, and the cities and counties felt powerless um, and they couldn't really stop it. And so I think Prop 64 did alter the landscape significantly. But, you know, Jason has a good point that a lot of the, uh, patients don't bother to become patients anymore because it's now quasi-legal. And for that reason, there's a lot fewer doctors. It's more difficult to get a recommendation these days than in the good old older days. Um, yeah, Omar, I can't even park at the health department where I need to go. There's no parking. There's zero parking. So they made it really hard. We're over time on this, but let's uh, give Steve Elliott the last word. Yeah, no, I was just going to say, yeah, no, it's so difficult to get a, a medical recommendation here in the state of California anymore because of the lack of doctors. And plus, you have to go to the state to get the state card to get any sort of discount, uh, which in and of itself is just ridiculous. Um, but uh, I, I do I do appreciate the fact that they're taking away the opt-out uh, uh, portion of this, um, you know, because everybody deserves a medical right, but there, there is that hiccup of how many patients are there left in California. Thank you for letting me speak. We've got another dope, dope dad. Yay. That's of awesome. Course. I think your child, <laughs> your child, your child yeah. said bye. Dad. <laughs> All right. We're way over time for our relight, so we're going to go ahead and do that now. You are tuned in to the State of Cannabis News Hour, your daily dose. The thoughts and opinions expressed in the State of Cannabis News Hour are those of the individual speakers, not those of any other speaker in State of Cannabis or its members. The statements made in the State of Cannabis News Hour do not constitute legal or accounting advice, and State of Cannabis and its speakers make no representation regarding the legal status of any substance in any country, area, or territory, or any other authorities. The views expressed in this room do not establish any fiduciary relationships. The sponsorship of the State of Cannabis News Hour do not imply or constitute any endorsement by the State of Cannabis or the expressions of any of the opinions whatsoever on the part of the State of Cannabis or any of its speakers. Viewer discretion advised. Let's keep smoking the news. I think we have an update. Who wants to do that? Oh, yeah. Let me introduce Gretchen Gailey with a special breaking news update, which really doesn't matter. But go ahead, Gretchen. Well, Rico Lamite, uh, hell has frozen over. The House has passed the Moore vote. It passed by two votes, 220 to 204. Only three Republicans voted for it this time. Last time we had 10 Republicans who voted for it. Uh, so things don't bode well for the future of partisanship uh, in this uh, freaking Congress. Uh, and a number of things that we didn't like added were added, uh, like the provision of having to uh, figure out uh, impaired driving before legalization can happen. There are a lot of things that were added to this bill that no one's a major fan of, but it doesn't matter anyway because Chuck Schumer will never see the light of day. Uh, this is Gretchen for State of Cannabis News Hour. Also, real quick, Gretchen, um, reparations passed. <laughs> that is not I wouldn't a reparations call it reparations. Bill. I think that's a bit extreme. <laughs> Just yeah, saying. I'm with you, Gretchen. That is just 
Rico, that's just fake news, bro. <laughs> All right, coming to the stage next is a pot-loving PhD champion for common sense cannabis policy, real-life al- real alternative activist, remaining optimistic in the midst of cannabis chaos. Manika Mahajan, what you got for us? Happy Friday. Hi. Good morning. Thank you so much. Happy Friday, everybody. So my uh, my article today is also related to the more act vote in the House of Representatives. And uh, but I'm talking about some research that was released that uh, that will inform or that did inform Congress. So ahead of today's vote in the House of Representatives, Congressional Research Service, which is a nonpartisan shared staff that prepares research and insight for members and committees of Congress, released a report on the Schedule One status of cannabis, and it clarifies some different things here. So this particular report focused on the impact of having cannabis listed as a Schedule One drug under the Controlled Substances Act. And just to tie this back to the MORE Act, the MORE Act actually just removes, uh, so it's passed the House of Representatives, next it has to go to the Senate, as Gretchen just mentioned. But uh, should it pass both of those, the MORE Act would remove cannabis from Schedule One status, and that would open the door for a number of things, as reported by the CRS uh, Research Service. So federal com- criminalization has stood in the way of academic research, universities worrying about Allowing cannabis research at their facilities puts them at risk of losing federal funds. So that is one thing that uh, that could be resolved if the Senate does take this up and pass it. On a related note, the Schedule One status has created difficulty for researchers who want to study uh, cannabis by creating barriers to, to studying potential risks and benefits of the plant, which would help some of those uh, representatives who were speaking about cannabis today on the House floor. Banks and credit unions remain reluctant to openly enter into relationships, also would be resolved by the MORE Act. And the report, uh, perhaps most importantly, notes the legal consequences for individuals. Cannabis's CSA status gives rise to a range of issues um, related to housing, food assistance, gun, o- gun ownership, visas, and employment. And all of this was, brief- was part of the briefing to Congress. Then the report talks about uh, the DEA, which has consistently denied petitions to reschedule cannabis or marijuana, and turns to options for uh, altering the Schedule One status. So I know that there's a lot going on, and and this just this just went before the House of Representatives. So um, so I'm just going to kind of try and tie this all together here. So. Congress can amend the CSA without the requirement of considering factors like medical utility and risk of abuse. They can move it to another schedule. They can create a new schedule or remove it entirely, as the MORE Act uh, proposes to do. And um, and then, you know, coming back to this House floor vote and some of our conversations as a team on MORE Act and safe banking, I just want to note that the MORE Act decriminalizes cannabis by removing it from the CSA which is going to help individuals advance research and also remove the challenges that make banks nervous to work with cannabis businesses. The Safe Banking Act, on the other hand, provides assurance for banks and credit unions, but really does nothing for the people um, and the criminality for those actually in the industry or those who consume or research cannabis throughout the country. Safe banking is for banks. While I have my criticisms of the MORE Act, members of Congress like Ed Perlmutter are putting something forward that shows concern for real people consumers, businesses, and the future of research. Safe banking is not for people. It's for a specific type of of business, and that type of business has already received a lot of help from our government. So I think MORE Act has some some issues, and and we're all, you know, looking into our crystal balls to see if it goes forward in the Senate. 
But uh, in relation to the Safe Banking Act, I think the MORE Act is a better proposal. I am Menika Mahajan reporting for the State of Cannabis News Hour. Menika, first off, to say that the Safe Banking Act is not for the people is a ridiculous statement. Why? Tell that to the bud tenders who are being shot in their dispensaries because they have to transact in all cash. The Safe Banking Act is not just about banks. It's about keeping people safe. That's bullshit. Hold on. Hold on. on. Gretchen, that's that's bullshit. No, it is is bullshit. You can't can't say people are getting shot because they're operating in cash. People have been operating in cash for fucking years, and and they're just getting shot right now because they're operating in cash? Like, that's is 100% bullshit. There's plenty of convenience stores where people are operating in cash. Not with the kinds of transactions that cannabis as well. do. So. <laughs> that's not, that's, that's a straw man argument. You're saying people are getting killed because they're operating in cash because there's no safe Rico Lamy, can you that's tell me that no bullshit. one has been killed in a People are going to get killed elsewhere. Take, so that's, if, so if, that's you, if, if you want to, if you want to fucking go to, if you want to go to the rabbit hole, guys get shot for nothing. You're, you're trying to put a bandaid on a fucking knife wound. How about that? I'm not trying to put a bandaid fix, on a knife wound. Fix the root wound. of the problem. Something past that will fix actually the help root this of the problem, and you don't have any of this. How about that? How, how about, about you how about you get reparations like we're talking about? Nothing is going to go through. Period. Pass safe banking. That's bullshit for, for anybody to say, oh, people are getting killed, people are getting shot because safe banking isn't passed. Bullshit. Tell, fix tell the that fucking the communities and shot. fix the people who are running the, the people. communities. Domino. Oh, that. People Stop the saying that. That's Dom- fucking dangerous for fucking saying that. It is not dangerous It, it is fucking dangerous for saying that. Dangerous. Like, people are, are not dying door. because Clearly of safe banking. Okay, okay, okay. Let's calm down. Let's calm down. I want to give Adolf a, a chance to weigh in. Um... I just want to say that I, I do not personally think that safe baking is is a, is a bridge gap to all of the issues that, you know, the cannabis industry faces. And I think that one of the things that gets lost in translation quite often, which has been in the news recently, is that historically uh, people of color are underbanked, right? The banks do not generally work with us. There are class action lawsuits going out right now, you know, in regards to refinancing of people of color's properties. And so we have to be honest to say that this is not going to fix everything. Much of the operators are minorities or small businesses who do not have access to banking, even when this bill passes. We are also behaving as if only the cash is what's driving this crime element. It is not. These people will burn bulls and dry flour and they're stealing fucking trim for God's sake. So just not having cash on, on the premises is not going to be, you know, the magic bullet to save all this. It will make some things better, but it is not going to be the magic, uh, you know, the, the magic solution, you know, for the industry. And so I think that we will all be very mindful to kind of realize that. Well, thank you. Uh, Adolf. Yes. And I'm still going to say pass safe banking. But coming up next, we have Christopher Smith. He's a communication strategist and publisher of the American Cannabis Report. Citizens from his home planet call him Kalel. While flying high on the earth, he's known to the public as Superman, but well known as his secret identity as Christopher Smith. What kind of news you got for us today, Brody? Good morning, Jason. Thank you. Good morning, Susan and Rico. I switched my story last night. I think you saw. Um, I realized the one that I had chosen was more opinion than news, so I started looking for something juicy. And pretty quickly, I started seeing a pattern emerging from news stories that involve cannabis from all around the world. The thread that ties these stories together is that police are mobilizing in a big way, and they're definitely not staying on the legal or moral side of the line. So I should add a trigger warning, I suppose, because I know that police activity is very upsetting for some of us. I don't have any kind of explicit things to report, but just generally... 
The first clue was buried in the news story that Liz just read. High Times reports that in New Zealand, next year, police will begin random drug testing of drivers. For three years, police will be able to pull random people over and drug test them. Cannabis is legal for medicinal use in New Zealand. It's not clear whether police will will judge about impairment versus just a blood test, in which case, of course, patients are in jeopardy there. In Hull, England, where medical cannabis is legal, police have pledged to knock on every single door in Hull in a major drug crackdown. Officers from the Humberside Police are carrying out stop and searches across the Hull area. The strategy is, quote, identifying and searching individuals that are suspected of being in possession or of supplying drugs. And we know exactly what that looks like. Perfect segue to New York City, where they do this too. Daily News reports that broken windows policy is back. Derived from a 1982 poli- uh, article, a magazine article from two social scientists, the main point of broken windows idea is that not fixing one broken window will lead to a neighborhood beset by broken windows. The unchecked panhandler is, in effect, the first broken window, they say. So if broken windows, the name doesn't ring a bell, you might know it as stop and frisk. The author continues, in several years of Mike Bloomberg's mayoralty, the NYPD made them more than 50,000 arrests just for cannabis possession. And what has perversely not changed in the practice of broken windows policing is how often it targets and apprehends low-income New Yorkers of color. The Police Reform Organizing Project regularly monitors the city's criminal courts, and every time we go, 85 to 90%, uh, 95% of the defendants are people of color. Sometimes it's 100%. From the Washington Post, a policing strategy abandoned after Breonna Taylor's murder or death was spread to other cities. This strategy is exactly the same as Broken Windows, but they call it Place Network Investigations. They also call it Hotspot Policing. It's pioneered by an academic, posited that crime could be curbed if police and other community partners focused on geographic connections in areas plagued by violent crime. And a nonprofit called Arnold Ventures has put up $2 million to evaluate the program in Philadelphia, Las Vegas, Tucson, Denver, Wichita, Baton Rouge, and Harris County, Texas. Now, out here in California, they're not satisfied with just bad policies. The police are just going rogue here. From NBC, and we've reported on all of these stories in the State of Cannabis News Hour. From NBC in the San Francisco Bay Area, police are accused of product, uh, corruption and theft during pot seizures. From San Bernardino, armored car company sues California sheriff and FBI for highway robbery, where they've stolen over a million dollars in cash. Uh, from Los Angeles, just a couple of weeks ago, after paying $18 million in taxes, Jungle Boys was raided for all of its cash in Boyle Heights, including, as we recall, the cash in the tip jar. Unchecked police power to deny citizens' rights is usually found to be illegal after the fact, but of course the damage is already done. Here in California, a big concern that I have is the massive funding boost given to law enforcement from taxes of legal cannabis. So now the coppers have military hardware and massive funds and they're drunk on power. And lastly, where crime exists in neighborhoods, it's a symptom of the problem, not a cause. The problem's not crime. The problem is certainly not cannabis. And by the way, even when other drugs 
drugs are involved, those are a symptom. The problem is poverty. So instead of funding police, our cannabis taxes should fund teachers, doctors, nurses, mental health care workers, daycare, job training, art teachers, sports coaches to make real change. And I'll bet at least one of them knows how to fix a broken window. And I'm done speaking. Thank you, Christopher. This is this is also a problem in New Mexico, which just went online today uh, with adult use. They have border patrol stations all over the place, up to a hundred miles away from the Mexican border, and they're stopping cannabis legal cannabis uh, distributors and taking their cash. Yep, I've had that happen to me. Uh, we had a. Uh a vehicle seized over at the border for a number of years and they took all the weed and all the product. But Chris, in relation to what you mentioned about the jungle boys, the jungle boys were not raided. You should not be using that type of language saying that they got raided because certain things happen when you get raided. You're not able to reopen after, after authorities leave. Generally your fucking camera system and all kinds of shit has been trashed and destroyed. And as well as you have zero product left to sell at the end of that raid. So the jungle boys were not fucking raided. They had a, a, a visit by the CTFTA and they did a cash grab. That was not a fucking raid. It's a robbery. Cash grab. Either way, it's legal tomato, robbery. tomato. I mean, it's just that it's, 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 it's yeah, not it's legal robbery when happen. you already owe the money, Liz. Yeah. That's a good point, Jason. Uh, yeah, but yeah, I just yeah. think our Come industry on. period, we've been dealing with this issue of legal robbery for a long time, and I don't see it ending anytime soon. I, I'm with that, but we need to call things what they actually are and what they aren't. And by calling what happened to the Jungle Boys a raid is doing a disservice to everyone that actually was raided and harmed in the drug war. It was overly dramatic, Jason. I mean, let, let's hear from Joanna Are you really going to try to crush my story on semantics, Jason? Thanks, bro. I think it was an well, excellent thank story, you. excellent fucking treatment, too, Chris. Yes. It was a great story, yes, Chris, except you, for the part about the Jungle Boys. Okay, let's hear from Joanna Cedar, please. I just wanted to mention a little bit about um, about what you just said, Susan, about uh, about the New Mexico police taking distributors' cash. Anybody who's traveling with more than $10,000 cash and doesn't have a federal MSB permit is by definition breaking the law. And, you know, until that's fixed, and I don't see that as part of safe banking yet, but until that's fixed, anyone on any road, anywhere in the country traveling with more than $10,000 for commercial purposes without an MSB permit is, you know, the, the letter of the law says they can't do that. So that's what's going on. And that's the nuanced issue that needs to be fixed in order for in order for people to legally carry money. Anyway, that's all I got. Hell yeah. Should we keep smoking the news? Let's. Coming straight out of Long Beach. He's the CEO of Deliciously Vegan Fruit Slabs, a cannabis and intellectual property attorney. And it's well known amongst certain circles that the weekend vibes put out by his beard can also be felt on weekdays. Up next, Brandon Dorsky. What you got for us? <laughs> Thanks for that great intro. My headline comes from MJ Biz. It's marijuana products present unique testing hurdles. May be no surprise that cannabis testing is fraught with some challenges and that the absence of decades of data impacts how some of those challenges are addressed and overcome. This article covered some of those challenges testers face when working with cannabis, which contains sticky, resinous lipid that is difficult to work with compared to many other natural substances. David Valancourt, CEO of the GMP of a GMP collective consulting firm, said 
separating out the cannabinoids to just look at pesticides is so much more complicated because we have to get rid of the sticky resin to separate that out and not lose the pesticides that we want to look for. That's just one of many challenges. The non-homogenous distribution of THC within the plant itself also impacts testing methodologies. Top of a plant has higher THC levels than flowers close to the root, and batches of tested flower can yield different results if a representative mixed sample is not selected and instead cherry-picked flowers are chosen. Valancourt urged that good testing procedures requires a methodology to get the average and representative sample. Testing permits for variation in results at almost every state as do many other industries, like pharmaceuticals, but the toler- and the tolerance range provides a safety net for operators. However, the test results for the same product can vary widely depending on the testing facility used. Different methodologies and equipment used at different locations can contribute to variations, as well as operators practicing SOPs designed to return passing or inflated scores that other testing laboratories simply would not deliver. The product variations within the industry also impact testing consistency and accuracy. A wave of new products in edibles and beverages and topicals that have other materials that interact or have unique interactions with cannabinoids present some testing challenges in and of themselves, and different product types require different equipment, different methodologies, and sometimes there's just not robust existing institutional knowledge to best understand how to test these new cannabinoid products. Kate Rimmer, a research chemist at the National Institute of Standards and Technology, noted that it is common for states to have different standards for testing different products and that there are different regulations about pesticides and things like foods, and that could apply to cannabis as well. Overall, having consistent standards across states would create harmony and advance quality control, but the industry may also just need more transparency to advance testing trends and make them more accurate. Those interviewed suggested that in food and pharmaceuticals, what we find is that they test for what is being put into the product, and that's known, and then it's tested for. But in cannabis, there's not a tremendous transparency as to all the input materials that go into cannabis, and that may impact the accuracy of testing and what we're testing for. Uh, We have a long way to go until we see uniformity in testing, and the industry needs to stop forum shopping for better testing results, which just encourages inaccurate or less accurate testing standards. This is Brandon Dorsky recording for the State of Cannabis. Great story, Brandon. Um, This makes me think a lot about Pennsylvania, where my family is, and I know Gretchen is um, based. It's that because it's like they're seeing these huge recalls and, and problems on patients, on companies, and lawsuits coming because of this, and many other places. I wonder how long it's going to be before we have a national standard for testing. December. Don't hold your breath. DEA. You will have a standard until you have legalization. Well, they're already going to be um, set in was it December 2022. Um, they're going to be regulating all the testing for the uh, quote-unquote hemp industry. This will probably be linked in with the rest of the cannabis industry. If you are to believe that, then um, they're pushing for federal legalization by then as well. It's so important because we're saying that's one of the main reasons why you need to purchase your cannabis at a um, regulated store. But if we can't believe the testing, then why should we? The trap will never die, Susan. Well, and then we kind of, I mean, a little bit know, allegedly, that a lot of things that don't pass testing go out the back door. So so people can make money. How bad is that <laughs> testing, really? So people, so people can make money because they can't make money anywhere fucking else. Until we test our food as stringently as we test our weed, this is just all way over gross reach of government. Taxes are overreach of fucking government. Totally agree with you on that, Rico. 
Let's get Shalina's story in. Let's go, Jason. Oh, sorry. I thought you were doing that, Rico. My bad. Shalina Panu, she's an attorney at, at, at law focused on bridging the gap between cannabis, entertainment, and psychedelics. She's also co-owner of one of the flyest IG pages on the team, the other owner being Mark Zuckerberg. That's right, guys. Facebook and IG. Coming to the stage next is the founder of Cannabis Blog and Podcast, Shall We Toke, Shalina Panu. What do you got for us today, girl? <laughs> Such amazing. Thank you so much, Jason. Good morning, everyone. My name is Shalina, and my headline for today is WeHo is considering holding cannabis special events. According to WeHoville, West Hollywood City Council staff members are currently considering the idea of holding cannabis-focused special events. There is a meeting scheduled for Monday regarding the implementation of the city's cannabis ordinances, including any changes and developments that have occurred. However, there are some urgent questions that they are trying to immediately address in regards to these cannabis special events, such as where can these special events take place? Is public property an option for these events? Can anyone host a cannabis special event in the city, or is it limited to just those with brick-and-mortar stores in WeHo? Should both sale and consumption of cannabis be allowed at these special events? Does the cannabis-sensitive use buffer zones apply to locations of the special events? How many cannabis special events can one applicant hold in a given year? If smoking is part of an event, what are the types of odor mitigation that will be provided? Further, City Council may direct staff members to develop an education campaign that will focus on safe adult use, as well as having staff members report back to the city on program compliance regarding monitoring the cannabis licensee training protocols. Currently, there is a cap on how many licenses can be issued at a time in WeHo. However, once approved for a license from the Business License Commission, they have three years to open up or forfeit their license. Further, the city is considering increasing that number to four years instead of three. It is projected that the that three new cannabis retail storefronts with an area for consumption will open in WeHo by the end of the year, which are all located on Santa Monica Boulevard, east of La Cienega. One location is currently open called Artist Tree and will be, oh, soon allow for on-site consumption. Nine other businesses have received approval from the BLC. However, there is no opening date set. There are three others waiting to apply for expanded licenses, one of them being MedMen, after Essence WeHo forfeited its license for adult use sales, consumption, and delivery ser- services. Mr. Jason Beck, the leader of WeHo's Cannabis Tourism Board, what's your insider take on uh, special events and the meeting that was being held on Monday? My name is Shalina, and I'm reporting for the State of Cannabis News Hour. Oh, yeah. City Council is going to take this issue up on Monday night. I'm excited to see what 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 the vote what the vote uh, co- comes in as and, and what kind of different talk, talking points come up during the discussion period. Um, I do anticipate that they are going to allow for events, how they allow for those events are going to be um, uh we are going to wait to see um, if it was up to me. If you want to have an event in West Hollywood, you have to team up with a West Hollywood business. And Do, is it too late for public comment? Public comment. Public Jason? comment would be on Monday during the uh, agenda item. Great. Awesome. Well, we've reached the top of the hour. That was a really great show. If you missed any of it, make sure to catch the replay on Clubhouse or find us a few hours after the show anywhere you get your podcasts or on our YouTube channel. And if you like the content, please subscribe and leave us a review. A big thank you to all of the correspondents that comb through all the headlines each day to bring us just what we need to know. A big thank you to Rico and Jason for co-producing the show and our pinup girl, Liz Rogan. Thank you audience for being our eyes and ears when there's news in your city, county, state, or country. Your addition to our show makes the State of Cannabis News Hour news you can trust. Unconditionally.
You've been tuned in to the State of Cannabis News Hour, where we collectively move policy forward in an inclusive and sustainable way. Start your morning on a high note and join us every weekday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time for the State of Cannabis News Hour, your daily dose. Say goodbye, Rico. Goodbye, everybody. Have a great weekend. <laughs>